Welcome to Rework, podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Kimberly Rhodes. This week, we're changing things up a bit and answering some listener questions. I'm joined by the co-founders of 37 Signals, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen. You guys, people have written us. They've voicemailed us. Let's dive right in. First question is from Noel. Hello, David, Jason, and Kimberly. Some months ago, you revamped the website with 37 ideas, and one that got my attention was number 36, context over consistency. While I agree with the general idea, I also think there has to be some consistency. Looking at Hey and Basecamp, not every page is completely different. So I was wondering what you think about design systems, and if you use them in your products. If you don't, I'm curious to know what's your philosophy on reusing components instead of reinventing the wheel every time. And that's it. Thank you. Jason, I'm going to direct that at you, but I think we should first tell people about this website that Noel is talking about. Yeah, so 37signals.com is, is, our, is our new site, which is actually a remake of our original site back in 99. It's just a, a series of 37 different ideas. There's some other links on it now as well. But uh, our points of view on a variety of different topics about the industry, about ourselves, about design, about engineering and writing and, and hiring and, and marketing and all those things. We always want to try to lead with ideas, and that's sort of what this site's all about. So you can check that out at 37signals.com. Um, yeah, to the point of context over consistency, uh, we, so getting specific, we don't have uh, design systems uh, internally. Um, we don't spend time building that. Our design system is the product itself. So uh, when we build Hay or Basecamp, it looks a certain way. How does it end up that way? It's just that's how it ends up. And because there's basically you know, only a few teams that work on these things, we can see the whole thing. We have a pretty good sense of how it looks. And so when you make a new screen, you kind of make it based on the other screens. And so it's this constant moving target, which is nice because you can refer to context, like what do the other screens do? How do we autocomplete over here if we're building an autocomplete over there? Let's kind of use the same thing. But occasionally you come up with a new idea that that's better, a new design that's better, a new layout that's better. And because we don't use a design system, we're not locked into the way it was. We're locked into the way, or we're not locked in at all. We Instead, we're, we're loose. We're, we're allowed to do it the way we think it should be. And then over time, maybe the rest of the app catches up to that new style. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's some inconsistencies. It doesn't matter that much. So I think th- the point is, is that if you want to know how to design something in Hay or Basecamp, you look at Hay or Basecamp. Have we done something like this before? Yes. Someone similar, some, something adjacent. Use that style, use that concept, use that general layout principle and bring it forward. But also if there's a way to improve it, do that as well. And um, that's that's kind of our, it's always been our approach. I just feel like making artifacts like design systems, it's very time consuming. It, it locks you into past decisions. Um, and then there's these religious battles about, well, can we change it? Can we not change it? Well, this thing says we can't, we have to do it this way. It's like, that's all unnecessary. Um, and the other thing I would just say is if you look at Basecamp or Hay, Essentially, they look. Each product looks different, but within the products, things do feel pretty consistent, even though there's no rule to make them consistent. So I think it naturally shakes itself out that way. I think also when you look at design systems, they are typically for organizations that are so large that they no longer trust individual designers to make good choices. This is something you see over and over again on the programming side as well. Once an organization gets to a certain size, there's a different group of people who are now architects. And the architects tell you how things are supposed to work and be laid out and which tools you use in what order and and 
that is a function of bureaucracy in its most pure form. Bureaucracy is about standardizing processes such that you can slot in people you don't have direct relationships or trust with. Now, there might be other people who like design systems for other reasons, but this general pattern of setting things up in a rigorous way, that's the consistency part, right? Like that's the essence of consistency is rigor, that you follow the same process every time to get similar style outcomes is something that um, is probably very appropriate at a company of 2000. And we revolve around this question over and over again. The industry is so chock full of methods, principles, and processes extracted from big tech companies. And they make total sense at 50,000 employees, 100,000 employees, 2,000 employees. These are the things like uh, microservices or, or service-oriented architectures. This is something I've been ranting and raving on about uh, 15 years. But then when you scale it down to our size, we have a product team of less than, I think it's less than 40 people. Um, and on individual teams, we have two people, one developer, one designer, very small teams. They just, not only do they not need these things, it would be actively harmful to introduce them. And this is the misconception I think is so often brought in when you say like, well, this works really well for Facebook. It has worked really well for Apple. I'm sure Apple has a design system for how Apple.com looks such that the subcontractors or even employees they have in Denmark don't have to think about the overall layout. They can just slot into a system and do their translations and move things around as they see fit. And it'll look pretty good. But if we were trying to do that at our scale, it would be inflicting harm. Not just harm in terms of productivity, although that would be a key part, but also harm in terms of the ownership that individual designers at 37 Signals have over this process. When you set someone free to make the right choice in a given situation rather than follow the bureaucracy, I tend to find that they are happier people. They feel more creative. They feel more expressed in what it is. On the technical side with the programming thing, there's so many tales of how, well, I don't like how we have to do this, but we have to because bureaucracy reason A, B, C, and D. You're like, why? Why do you have to do it like that? So embrace your size, I think is the key part of this. It's not design systems bad, design systems good. It's design systems inappropriate for a team of four expert designers at a company like 37 Signals. I love it. Okay, question number two is from Paul. It says, you must have made many difficult decisions together. How do you guys resolve serious conflicts? We don't have that many serious conflicts. So I don't, we're not that practiced in it, frankly. Um, I think we mostly see eye to eye on most big things. And there's probably 10% of things we don't. And I think then we just debate and discuss. And sometimes we yell a little bit. But like, for the most part, it's, you know, you, you lay it all on the table. You have a good relationship, a good a good trust. You trust each other's intuitions. You trust each other's point of view. And you just kind of figure it out. I don't know. Th- there's not like this thing where it's like, well, I'm going home and you're going home. We're never talking about this again. It's just we don't have that kind of relationship. But we will battle occasionally over things. Um, wh- one of the things we've done over the years is um, kind of trade, basically. It's, it's, like, it's like two friends going out to lunch over the course of five years. Like, I got this one. You get that one. I got this. You don't, you don't really tally, you don't keep track, but it kind of evens out in the end. So one of the techniques is when we're really just stuck, which is, again, I don't 
really remember a time when we were truly stuck. But if we were, and there've probably been smaller decisions where we were kind of like, whatever, um, you just kind of can tell who wants it more. And in many cases, like, you know what? You, fine, let's just try that. And, and the, other, the other thing to remember, and then like, I got the next one. I mean, you don't really like call that back at one point, but it just evens out in the end. The other thing to recognize is that I think it's a little bit about making sure that decisions aren't so sacred that um, someone needs to be absolutely right and someone else is absolutely wrong. And if we don't do it exactly this way, we're screwed. Like you really don't want to get to that point to begin with. So you know, most decisions we make are, are temporary to begin with, even if they're really big ones, you can always change. Um, and so, you know, we don't, we don't get too, I would say too attached ultimately to, to a decision because we can, we can make a different one if we have to. I think one thing is that the most recent one, there wasn't like a heavy disagreement, but there was a lot of discussion was, was some pricing changes we were going to make on Basecamp, like switching to per seat pricing and we're still working that out. We don't actually, if you actually go right, although when this podcast airs, it might be different because there's tests going on. But right now, as of right this second, um, we don't have per seat pricing as an option for, I think, I don't know if it's 50% of the people or everyone. I'm not sure what the test is because it started when I was gone, but we have a different test, different pricing set up up. And we might go back to per seat and try that again. We're just exploring some things. But I think that's when the most contentious things happen, when there's a lot of work that would need to happen to enact a particular decision. That's when you want to be like as careful, I think, as you can about the decisions you make because it sets off a chain reaction where lots of other people have to get involved. So that's, I think, the only time when maybe we really, really battle. But I don't know. Maybe David has a different point of view on it. But that, that's sort of my take. It's not that often. And then when, so when it happens, you trade. I think another tactic that we often use is recognizing the boundaries of each other's expertise. So when it comes to, for example, picking what to work on for an, the next cycle, um, I view my role as informing Jason about the technical trade-offs. And then I accept, and not just accept, but expect that Jason's role is to be the key product manager. And in fact, it becomes easier that way. Even on my end, when I have a preference that then does not turn out to be Jason's preference and he picks another thing, I can feel so at ease with it because I accept that in that specific situation, my primary role is to give the technical input on where we can judo, where we can um, save something on the technical side about doing things. And then Jason will pick whichever one it is. Usually we're on the same page with that anyway, but I do think it helps going into some situations with a bit of a tilt of who has this domain more. Now, we have some domains we share more equally uh, about writing, for example, but in fact, I don't recall ever having a disagreement about which essay goes into rework or, or doesn't go into rework. We usually see incredibly eye to eye on that. And then in the other areas where we might do have some disagreements, just letting that finger on the scale play in that, you know what, Jason's the key product manager here. Like that's literally his role as the CEO is to pick what, what we do and what we work on. And then I have other stuff that I focus on on the technical side where Jason's not going to come in and say like, actually, no, we're, we're fucking staying on the cloud. I promised Jeff that we would stay on AWS until the end of time. That's just not a, a situation to have. So I think that's easier for us than some other founder pairs because we have our own areas of expertise. If you do exactly the same as the person you're sharing the business with, 
I do think that becomes a bit more difficult and you have to lean on sort of the tit for tat situation um, a little bit more. And then Jason says, one of the things, one of my fundamental philosophies here, I'm kind of willing to try anything as long as there's an expiration on the experiment and there's a way to tell whether it went one way or the other. I think the pricing experience we're doing right now, I had a bunch of opinions about some of the pricing tests that we did and not all of that got expressed. And I was like, it doesn't matter. We're going to let this hit reality, the wall of reality, and reality is going to settle the score. What is it going to serve that we argue in the abstract back and forth? No, it should be this. No, it should be this. We're in the realm of, of magical thinking. The magical thinking only gets dispelled when we actually put stuff in front of customers. You can't argue your way to the correct price. All you can do is present reality with a set of choices and reality will be your referee. And then what is there to argue about? I think the other thing that's interesting, would be interesting for people to, to understand is that there's even big decisions that we don't consult each other on at all. Like David pulling us out of the cloud, like we never have actually even discussed that. David's like, we're just doing it. I'm like, yeah, okay, makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like, what am I going to say to that? That's not my expertise, first of all. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion about it. And he does, and he's all in. Good. Go for it. Like, there's a lot of that that happens here, too. Which, and people, I think, would be surprised to hear that, like, decisions like that aren't heavily debated internally. Like, even, like, way back when, way, way, way back when, when we were building Basecamp for the first time, and David selected Ruby to, to do it. I think we may have had a chat because we were doing PHP before that together a little bit. He's like, I'm going to do this Ruby thing. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't, sounds good. Like, I don't know, whatever. Those things, they're huge decisions ultimately, but you also just simply have to trust the person who knows best. I mean, I could throw some thoughts in. And, and the other thing is, is that, for example, the cloud thing, like I could be the one who's like, well, you know, there's a risk here. And, but that's almost, it suggests that David hadn't thought about that. And I, I try to be careful about that too. Like, of course he thought about that. He knows the risks. He knows the challenges. Like, of course. And it's, it's sort of dispiriting to, to throw that at somebody and, and condescending almost to, to throw, to th like just throw things in because you feel like you need to have your say. I know those things were considered and I'm sure that, that, that they were thought through and, and I uh, trust. So trust is a big, huge part of it. And I think that trust enables us not to have a bunch of debate clubs. Like there are very few decisions, even the big ones, even the ones where we do consult each other on them, where we debate for like weeks on end. They are very, very rare. People would be and frequently are shocked when we have new people coming in, especially more senior people come in and they realize they, they're trying to get their lay of the land of the decision making processes we have. And I'm like, what process? Like we just make decisions and we, we go with them and it enables um a higher goal. It enables a velocity that it is difficult for some people to sort of grapple with initially, but then they can appreciate the results of that. We can move so quickly on so many things at the same time because we don't run all of it through like a leadership funnel where everyone has to get their say. And this is some of the things that we've struggled with in part a little bit over the years is that on the some level, you do want leadership, the more senior people in your company to feel involved and feel buy-in and there can be ill will if something major pops up and they hear about it through a different channel that you first having the discussion with them and so on. Absolutely recognize that that is a drawback. 
but it's a drawback we're willing to accept. Like this is to me, this is the interesting part of designing a intentional company is to say, here's a bunch of things that's valuable, but we cannot have them if we want these things that are more valuable. And we place such a uh, high premium on pace, on velocity, on independence, on competence, and on trust. Do you know what? That does mean we can't then debate all decisions. We're not going to hear everyone out on everything. That would grind things to a halt, even if that would make someone feel better in a given situation. It's just not going to happen. So that's a big part of like knowing who you are. Know who you are. And, and what your values are, things become a lot simpler and it becomes a lot easier to accept the byproducts of stuff that then isn't always great. Yeah, that's the price of admission. Okay, David, you mentioned Jason as product manager, which leads in nicely to question number three from Tim. Hey, Jason, DHH. Thanks for the podcast and books. I run a product team and often share your content with uh, with our teams. My question can you talk about 37 Signal's approach to product management? While you seem to perform what I would consider the typical product function, you don't seem to have product managers. I wonder if you would share your thinking around traditional product management and more broadly the approaches that you've taken over the years. Thank you so much. Cheers, Tim. David, you want to start with this one? Sure. So I worked at a couple of companies before 37 Signal's that had product managers. and. I must say I have a bit of an ambivalent relationship with that role um, because it kind of um, implies many of the negative aspects or tendencies of management in general that I see, that it's someone who, who just makes decisions and tells other people what to do. I am greatly skeptical of that constellation, just makes decisions and tells other people what to do. Now, it has a role and at a larger company, I'm sure there's enough decisions and enough people to tell what to do that maybe that sort of happens. I never wanted that role. I think that we are much better informed by being in the work to a large degree rather than just being like we make decisions, which I associate with on the technical side. I'm like architects. These are people who just make the big technical decision and someone else figures out the details. You know what? Can't divorce those two things. You cannot make good decisions if you're not in the details. Those things are diametrically opposed to, to being good. So I think part of it is that we saw like the product management part is actually a relatively small part. Now, we are a little bit larger and we have more teams. And now uh, Jason has uh, uh, Brian in product strategy that helps prepare some of the pitches and so forth. But even that role and that process, it's not product management in the stereotypical way I would think about it, where it's someone who's following up with the team like every two days. So where are we on this thing? Where did we progress? In part, we built software to solve that instead. We built software like um, the automatic questions. The automatic questions, the two automatic questions we have, which is the one at the start of the week that asks, what are you going to do this week? And the one at the end of every day that asks, what did you work on? takes a huge role of the product management stuff, which is to gather information and to distribute it more broadly and let that inform the process, right? That's not just happening automatically. And I think we're much better off for it. It hands over a degree of agency to the people actually doing the work. Do you know what? You're going to make the decisions. You're going to face all sorts of problems as you dive into the particulars. And those particulars are going to reveal trade-offs and you're going to have to make them. 
Now, occasionally you might summon me, you might summon Jason, you might summon Brian, like, hey, can I get a second opinion on this? But it's ultimately it's on you. <laughs> and I find that just to be a liberating process. When we talk about our teams, we talk about teams of two, one designer, one programmer. That's 95% of all product work that happens at 37 Seals happens with that team. There's not a third person called product manager on top of that boat. Just telling the other two which way to row. Nah, you got to pick up the oars yourself. If you want to be in the boat, you got to row. I don't have much more to add except that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, when there's two people, it's, it's a direct relationship between the programmer and the designer. They don't need a lot of management to begin with. Like you just don't. And someone would basically be getting in the way and have nothing to do most of the time. So that's not the kind of, we don't want to have people here who have basically nothing to do most of the time uh, and then get in other people's way. That's it. Basically there, there are decisions there. So one thing that is, is people don't usually get when I talk about two person teams is there are other people who come in from time to time, and provide feedback and, and reviews and that, but they're typically pulled in by the team when the team is ready to have someone look at something it's not somebody who's just dropping in constantly and asking these questions. So there's, there's, it's not management, but it's, it's, it's a degree of oversight. There's some quality assurance, not QA only, but also just like quality. Like, is the bar high enough? Some of that stuff that happens. But that's not a permanent role that someone's making decisions about every single day. That's just a ridiculous amount of time to spend on that. But you kind of look at it occasionally. You get with the team. You talk with the team. And then you go away. So you kind of float between different teams and different projects. There's nothing and nobody dedicated to an individual project to manage it. So that's just some more detail there to add. And this is actually the key fear I always have about management, is that the best way to wreck a good thing is to introduce a manager who have more hours than there is work to do, because they will absolutely positively invent work, and the kind of work that they will invent is work for other people not for themselves. So I think this is one of the reasons why we're so hyper allergic to a management. Maybe we're even a little too allergic. I mean, we do have some management and now at 80 people, we have some people who do management a fair amount of the time. But if you looked at the product organization coming from a traditional background, you would absolutely go, we're all the product managers. We're all the team managers. And we go like, yeah, we don't have them. The teams will make the majority of the decisions themselves. And we fight so hard, including in my role and in Jason's role. I'm not a full-time CTO. Jason's not a full-time CEO. These are hats we wear occasionally. Some weeks we wear that hat for 10 hours. Some weeks we wear the hat for two hours. Some weeks we might wear it for 40, but those are rare. It is very rare for us to have a full week's worth of managerial responsibilities. So this is why I'm so big on like having a hobby. My hobby happens to be programming. So I get to absorb, like all my excess time is absorbed by programming. And for Jason, being in the product itself, being part of working on the individual features and individual designs and all that stuff absorbs all of that. Because wouldn't it be weird if there just so happened to be exactly 40 hours every week, 48 weeks a year, 40 hours every week on managerial decisions? Absolutely not. There's no way, no how. It just adds up to that. Um, and when it doesn't, all hell breaks loose. Okay, we have more questions, but I'm going to wrap for now and we'll pick back up next week with some additional questions. But thank you guys for answering those. And again, if you want to be a part of 
the Rework Podcast and ask one of your questions to David or Jason. Leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. Or if it's easier, you can send us an email at rework at 37signals.com. Rework is a production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Rework Podcast.